This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Another week, another pod, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley. I'm joined across the interwebs by my friend Justin Hopkins of ScoopDuck.com. And uh, before we start, I got to get one thing out of the way. I know I'm going to cough and hack and wheeze, and I'm sorry about it, everybody. It's just my lungs can't handle all this smoke right now. I hope you're safe. I hope your lungs are a little healthier than mine. Um, we're recording this about 12.10 on a Thursday, a little bit later than normal. And I've got a hunch. Every time we're a little bit late like this, it's because J-Hop has a piece in the hopper. Uh, you got anything that's going to break this afternoon, my friend? No, I, I certainly don't believe that to be the case, but uh, I mean, I guess you just never know in this in this ever-evolving world, but we definitely had some news yesterday. We definitely, you know, had some, what, today's Thursday, so we kind of had some news Tuesday. Um, you know, there's been some tremendous basket or excuse me, recruiting news, both in basketball and football this week. Uh, so it's been a really good week if you're a fan of Oregon athletics, not only on the recruiting front, but also uh you know on the football front as well yeah yeah obviously we just spent a minute dancing around maybe the biggest issue of the month uh big 10 they canceled everything and then they canceled the cancellation and they are back to life they're aiming to play late october and now the pac-12 is kind of the next in line right what's your read on that situation well i mean a number of things. I mean, just so that's the great thing about a podcast. You know, I, I can write about stuff and I try to put my, my words into writing and sometimes I'm really successful and other times I'm not, but at least, uh, when you're talking about it, you can, you could say things differently and, and they, and they come off differently. And first and foremost, I am glad to see that there is now a push in doing that and that there is an emphasis and that there is some sense of urgency for the PAC 12, uh, to join suit with everybody else for that matter, at least in the power five. And I, 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 just for me, I sit here and look at, there's no choice. You, you know, if you're a couple weeks late or whatever the case might be, at least you're vying for a college football playoff or championship whatever we end up with this year and even if it is a throwaway year even if you know it's always one of the record books that that looks a little different you know it's really unfair to the conference to not be you know preparing and competing that said it's a step in the right direction however completely disappointed in the fact that this hasn't been talked about there hasn't been a better plan in place that it took the official, official announcement from the Big Ten, something that we knew was coming for a couple of days ahead of that, for the Pac-12 to finally say, oh, well, I guess we better figure something out now. And, that you know, the level of, of that preparedness or lack of preparedness is deeply disturbing because, 
this isn't, you know, just some of the financial decisions that scratch your head. This isn't that, hey, Limo Larry stayed in a $7,500 suite in Vegas for the weekend. All these things that are head-scratching. This is how the Pac-12 generates the, the vast majority of its revenue. This is how the, the, the Pac-12 is known, you know, just nationally is its recognition for football. Don't get me wrong. Oregon and other universities within the Pac-12 have done a tremendous job in baseball, uh, track and field, all these other sports that, that I love and do follow as well. But let's not let's not mistake it. Football is the absolute machine that drives everything, and they've literally just screwed the football uh, with how they've handled it this thus far, in my opinion. So I, I wanna I wanna target quote unquote they because there's a lot of questions to me about who's putting what work in, who's doing what right now. When you say they, that's the Pac-12, and and you feel like they they didn't really start work on this process. I mean, it all it, it all begins and ends with Larry Scott, and it's no secret that I'm not a fan, you're not a fan. Pretty much everybody inside the Pac-12 footprint is not a fan of Larry Scott. And, I mean, let's face it, if you're in charge of Lithium Motors or whatever, a, a multi-million dollar company, whoever's at the top is the one that shoulders the responsibility for the good and bad decisions, and you need to live with those repercussions. And in this particular matter, it doesn't matter what everybody else under Larry Scott thinks or wants to do, or, you know, I know for a fact, I know for a fact, okay, from sources, something that I wrote about in the juice today, which I just published before it came coming on here, that the, you know, I've written about, okay, what can the PAC 12 do? I mean, we know that time is of the essence. You're going to have to scramble together, get everybody, get all, get, get everybody back on campus, get them quarantined, get them tested, get them ready, let them work out for four or five weeks, which is already the minimum, minimum amount. That's the absolute minimum amount. It should be somewhere in the six, seven, eight week neighborhood. uh, If we're talking safely um, from a conditioning standpoint, not from a COVID standpoint. And you know, here we are with no time. All of the plans that I've come up with and that we've seen, you know, Wilner, Canzano, everybody come up with, you know, I presented, hey, here's how you do it. You start, uh, you know, October 31st or you start November 7th. Those are your absolute drop dead last dates. You play an eight game season. If it's if it's a seven game season and a conference play, you know, championship or if it's eight, eight games and you're done, whatever the case might be, that puts you, you know, at that early December, that mid-December ending point around December 19th. If you need to push it another week, uh, which gets you after Christmas, that's December 26th, that puts you a day after Christmas. You probably have some logistical problems there a little bit more, but you can do it. And let, let's face it, if they get this thing put together by Sunday and hit the ground running, we're talking four, we're talking three and a half days from this very point right now, you're going to have to put together a plan, write it all out, get everybody back on campus, get them tested you know, these, all these scenarios, what I'm getting at, this was presented to the conference to Larry Scott back in August when they were talking about postponing things, when it was looking like that was the direction. It was, hey, you guys have had supposedly, quote unquote, all these contingency plans in place up to now. Why don't we have some in case the seasons aren't canceled? Let's look at, and and these specific dates, these specific dates, the October 31st, November 7th, were presented to them at that point back in August and, you know, again, that paperwork was simply filed under other paperwork and never looked at again. So I'm, I'm deeply disappointed to hear. And, and, and we see, I mean, we, you even heard 
you know, Governor Newsom, Governor Brown of Oregon, Governor Newsom of California basically say, look, we haven't heard from the Pac-12. I mean, yeah, you know, the, here they are. Larry Scott issues a very vague, you know, responding statement to the Big Ten, ultimately saying, you know, passing the buck to the two states, Oregon and California. And their immediate response was, we haven't heard anything. We, there's been no plans. There's been no discussions. You know, everybody just kind of got jilted. And it really showcased just how poorly the Pac-12 has managed this. And, and, I, and I do say that as the Pac-12, but let's face it, Larry Scott is the, the figurehead of the Pac-12. He's the spokesperson. It all falls on him. And, and I feel like I'm piling on, but this has absolutely been mishandled the wrong way. I don't fault him for postponing the season. I don't fault him for wanting rigorous testing of COVID-19. I don't fault him for player safety one iota. But to not have a plan in place several at several points, say, hey, look, let's do this. Hey, don't send Panay Sewell home and have him not train for four weeks because we could resume in October. Mario Cristobal would have said, sure, cool, no problem. We'll continue training. Mm-hmm. There's been no communication. There's been no effort up until this point. And, and honestly, unless something happens in the next 48 hours, it's not going to happen. Right. Um, I, I think you hit on the point that really – popped out to me when all of this news came out yesterday i i'm i'm openly pretty progressive and and i'm not gonna wave my political affiliation in front of anybody's faces i just i point that out just because it's it's relevant here i'll i'll concede that um our governor is a punching bag sometimes and and can do some pretty dumb things but i thought it was stark that she came out, and then Governor Newsom in California, similar situation, kind of a punching bag sometimes. He came out, and they pointed fingers at the Pac-12, and and nobody could really dispute that. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I'm with you. Obviously, we 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 dance completely around political issues, uh, you know, every week. But to their credit, in this particular case, you know, I believe that had the Pac-12 or Larry Scott been in communication with them and said, hey, look, we're, we're, we're proposing looking at this. We have this rapid testing now. Here's all the things. Can we, you know, can we can we kind of come up with a plan and move forward here? Had there just been minimal communication? And look, I'm with everybody else. I'm down here in Southern Oregon amid the wildfires. So that situation is not lost on me whatsoever at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I was very fortunate, but we did have a slight scare about evacuating the house. Didn't have to, but it got close. Right. That situation, this doesn't require all that much attention. And I think yesterday really, really verified that. Look, if 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 the Pac-12 wants to play, all they need to do is have a plan in place, communicate that with those governors, with their spokespersons, with their secretaries, whoever they need to coordinate that with. And had they been doing that all along, we would have been okay. And, you know, I, I think in this case, the both governors were swift in their responses and very you know, clear about, hey, look, we're willing to play ball here, pun intended, and help you guys. But we need we need some information. We need some communication. Right. And, you know, that 100 percent goes back to Larry Scott. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've been talking about how the Pac-12 needs to put a plan forward. What's your favorite plan? Well, the one thing that, and, and I wrote about this initially, the one thing that I thought was really cool, and it's the first time I've seen it, was the Big Ten. You know, the, so the Big Ten puts out its its plan, and, and they don't have a schedule or anything yet, but that's okay. You basically are saying, hey, look, we're going to circle this date. 
you know, you schools get back there, get training, get working out, get testing, get all these things going while you're doing that. We're going to go ahead and put together the schedule. We'll get it to you as soon as we can. The Pac-12 can very much do that. If they think they need to have a schedule fully in place and all these other things, they're just wasting time. But the Big Big Ten went ahead, and uh, my understanding, I'm just going off memory, they're going to play an eight-game season, uh, and they're going to have their two divisions within the conference. And at the end of that, the the ninth week, uh, which I believe is that December 19th weekend, you'll have the the seeds all match up and play a game against each other. So you've got the, I forget, what is it, the legends? And I can't remember what their two, two divisions are called, but you'll have the one seed from each division that plays each other, the two seed from each division that plays each other all the way down uh, through your seeding, however many teams you have. Uh, in their case, that would be five, you know, two five seeds. I think that's a great plan. I think that gives everybody something to play for that that last weekend. And I think right now the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, you know, they're obviously a couple weeks behind everybody else. I mean, the uh, SEC is the last one currently to get going, which will be next weekend. Um, but even then, you're going to be, you know, three four weekends behind them. You're going to have a month less, uh, you know, a month amount less of games if you're the Pac-12 and the big 10. I, I think you need a little something more to play for. I don't think you can get through and just not have a conference championship. I think at least that way, let's just say potentially the big 10, their, their, their two number one seeds are both in the top 10 or top 15. Well, that's a pretty big build matchup, you know, whether it's, it's Penn state and Ohio state or whatever the case might be, you've got one more big time game for somebody to have a chance getting into the playoff. I think that's going to be a huge part of that. I think the PAC 12 needs to adopt something similar to that. For instance, let's just say Oregon has a good season. USC has a good season. You get to that ninth week, it's Oregon versus USC. They might've already played during the season. We don't know, but you get back at that point and both of them have won, you know, seven of their eight games. We'll just call them seven and one, you know, you potentially have two, we'll just say worst case top 20 teams going against each other. That's going to help one of those teams. It's going to help that winner might not get them into college football playoff potentially, but it definitely makes their resume look a lot better and a lot stronger. So I, I do believe that the PAC 12 would be wise to adopt that. I don't know that they're that far ahead in the thinking to really realize that. I think everybody's just focused on getting a season started and getting the wheels in motion, which they do need to do. But I think you need to look at this thing at the end and you look at, you know, you look at an Alabama or a Clemson or North Carolina or one of these outliers that maybe isn't those top teams and, you know, maybe an Auburn, whatever the case might be. And they are, let's just call them, you know, eight and three at that time, 11 games, or they're even eight and four or nine and three, whatever the case might be. But you look at the Pac-12 and you've only played eight games, you're seven and one maybe you're eight now at best, but you've played three to four less games. You've got to, you've got to have to have a little bit more ammunition uh, in what you're selling the playoff committee, in my opinion, to make up for that month of games you're missing. Um, Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks analyst, we've had him on the pod before. He tweeted out yesterday, he felt like if the Pac-12 could resume play and you end up with – all five power conferences playing college football in some way, shape, or form. He felt like the conference, um, the conferences would get a break from the playoff committee, meaning that the playoff committee would change some of its announcement dates to allow for 
conference schedules to be completed. Do you buy that optimism? <sighs> Golly, I, I feel like that's a whole podcast right there, but I don't. I guess simple answer is I don't. I mean, I I, I believe just my belief, and and Yogi might be operating. Look, we both love Yogi. I love Yogi. Respect him. Uh, easily one of the bright spots of the Pac-12 network is Yogi Roth, no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, respect what he has to say. I have a really tough time believing that the three conferences that that push forward with play, uh, you know, two of which being their big hitters, SEC and ACC, and then you have the fourth conference that went ahead and said, hey, we're going. Right now, we don't even know what the Pac-12's plan is. We don't even know if they're going to resume football or if they're going to be able to get this done. Assuming they do, I think you'll have a lot, a lot of pushback from the speaking heads within the ACC, within the SEC, within all the other conferences and say, hey, why should we why should we make an exemption for them? You know what I mean? And I'll take this a step further. Okay, my belief is and I I think yours was the same, too. If we were operating under. Uh, normal guidelines under the fact that Oregon would have opened up against North Dakota State or if they would have even opened up that original conference-only schedule that would have taken place in September. If we were operating in a program that had trained through August and had gotten ready for a a normal season or even that uh, conference-only season, I view and I think you viewed Oregon as a team that would challenge Mm -hmm. for a playoff spot. Right. You had Panay Sewell, you had Javon Holland, Thomas Graham, Diamandor Lenore. You have depth, you have talent, you have experience. Sure, you're breaking in some new pieces on offense, but let's face it, you've got Joe Moorhead now, and that's an ace in the hole right there. I think Oregon was in position to challenge for a playoff spot, and, and, and everybody would have been oper- operating under a similar schedule or, or everything being equal. Now let's look at this Oregon team. Let's just assume we're going to see a late October and November season and it's eight games, nine games, whatever the case might be. You're playing less games first and foremost. You are now at this moment that we know of without Panay Sewell, Thomas Graham, Diamador, Lenore. Those are three NFL guys. Those are three NFL roster guys. You know, Graham and Lenore might be, you know, second, third day guys, whatever the case might be. Panay Sewell is arguably the best player to ever come through the Oregon program, arguably. Top five, no question, might even be top two without question. So your team dynamic has completely changed. Secondly, your team, University of Oregon, again, I'm using Oregon because I feel that they were the best representative from the Pac-12 to challenge for a playoff spot. Your team, University of Oregon, hasn't practiced in three or four weeks now. Everybody's been off. The players have been home. They're going to come back this weekend. Okay, We don't know what we're getting. We, You and I were both pretty vocal about the fact that these players were safer at the University of Oregon getting tested weekly, you know, in a very regimented, very controlled environment than going home and hanging out with their families and hanging out with their friends and doing what they're doing. Okay, these guys haven't been practicing. The whole dynamic of this Oregon team has changed. I'm no longer confident that this team is now positioned to walk through the Pac-12 as I feel they would have in September. So. Right. What I'm going with this, and back to your original question about Yogi, I'm not sure the Pac-12 has a team that warrants the consideration. So uh, I'm not here to slight USC, but they have severe problems on the offensive and defensive line. They've lost both of their best players on each side of the ball on offense and defensive line. 
have opted out just like Panay Sewell. I don't think any of these players are coming back. I don't think any of the opt-outs are coming back. I could see a case for Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore coming back, but I don't see the guys that have the first, you know, the first round, early first round, mid first round, or even late first round grades. Like Panay. Yeah. Like Panay coming back. I, I, I don't, I don't see the guys going back to USC, you know, that they lost to the NFL draft as well. You've changed the dynamic. Now, calling a spade a spade, you've changed the dynamic in all the conferences. Alabama's lost players. LSU's lost players. I get it. It's a totally different dynamic. But my point is, and back to what Yogi says, I doubt there will be very little empathy and very little support from anyone outside the Pac-12 to make exceptions for the uh, the the smaller schedule that the, the Pac-12 is obviously going to play if they play. I think unless Oregon, USC, insert whatever school you want, goes 8-0 or 9-0, whatever the case might be, the conference is going to have a really tough time getting somebody in the playoffs. So serious question here. If you can't get in the college football playoff, why play this fall? Yeah, and I think the answer to that um, – it's fairly simple. First off, if the Pac-12 can get it together and and start play by late October, early November, and finish when everyone else is going to finish. Everybody else is saying, all the other conferences are saying, hey, we're going to finish December 19th. And typically what happens, everybody finishes on that weekend. All the all the conference championships are typically played. And then the, the playoff committee goes to work on the, on the final rankings and the playoff selections during that week. So the Pac-12 has to finish there because the committee, the other four conferences are not going to say, oh, yeah, we'll wait another week or two for you guys to finish up and get some extra games in. There's no benefit to them. There's no financial benefit. There's no revenue increase for them. Uh, it merely prolongs the season. So they're going to ultimately, I believe, their push would be, hey, you guys finish when we finish. Here's when we're doing the rankings. However many games you get in, you get in. That said, you're going to you're going to have an opportunity to compete for a playoff championship. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for a representative from the Pac-12 to get in unless they go undefeated. They're going to need to win all eight or nine games, whatever the season ends up being. But if you do that, you have the ability to compete for a college football championship. Could be Oregon, could be USC. Ultimately, it could be a wild card school like Cal. You know, you, you, we, we were talking about Cal early on, uh, a strong program, a lot returning, some experience. But you've got a, a, a program like Cal that's got a very big base of players that are returning for the last three or four years. And very few are high NFL draft picks. They've seen very few players opt out. They could end up benefiting from something like this because Oregon's seen some players opt out. USC has seen some players opt out. And they're going to be overall at 95% strength. So I, I think that that's something to watch out for uh, within this conference. And, and I do think that this is a much better option than playing in January. If you're playing in January, you're clearly the only team, only conference playing at that point. It's basically glorified intramurals. So I, I, I think it's the right move for the Pac-12 to try and get in. I just think the margin of error is, is incredibly lower for them versus these other conferences that will have more games uh, under their belt uh, when the playoff committee goes to work. What do you think is the uh, biggest hurdle preventing the Pac-12 from getting back right now? Just time. It's just it's time. And, and when I say that, it's the lack of time. I mean, again, you and I are here on midday Thursday recording this. 
you know, uh, yesterday morning, and we saw governors tweeting out responses saying, we don't, we haven't heard from the PAC 12. Obviously within a couple hours span there, they said, Hey, we've had a quick conversation with the PAC 12. We've basically given them the green light to go ahead for all intents and purposes. That's just the cliff notes on that. There's still, you know, clearances at the, at the, at the, at the individual state, the County, the city regulations. I understand all that. It's not as if the red tape's been removed, but I, I get the feeling. I get the strong feeling that whatever County representatives are there for those schools are going to look at the governor's response and say, Hey, we're giving you the green light. Go ahead. I doubt they're going to go against the governor for any reason to prevent those schools from playing. Seems like a very minor hurdle to me at this point, but ultimately it's time. I mean, every hour, every half hour that the PAC 12 doesn't start getting these things ironed out uh, really puts them in danger. And you, you can't, make an announcement Monday and expect everybody to hit the ground running Monday. You've got to get something out later today. You've got to get something out by end of business tomorrow, in my opinion. And it doesn't have to be a full schedule. Okay. It really just needs to be, here's the beginning date of when we'll start games. Here's the end date of when the season will end. We will get you guys a schedule. Here's the, here's the, uh, you know, here's the plan. It's going to be, you know, eight games, nine games, whatever case might be, give them all that. And say, go ahead, get to work, guys. Get your testing going. You know, start doing phase one uh, of getting back to football. Uh, right. it has to be done by the end. Of, so that's the only thing holding it up is just ultimately it, it's scary to think about. It's really scary to think about this, Matt. But we're all dependent right now on Larry Scott making the right decision. <laughs> that is a scary, scary thought. Um, really, the uh, the only other major question I have on uh, all of this. Pac-12, kind of one foot in, one foot out right now, looking at the Big Ten jump back into the pool, is do you think there's a chance that some schools don't get cleared to play? And if that happens, do you think the Pac-12 plays without them? That's a great question. and something that I honestly haven't thought about. Uh, so you're going to hear my thoughts basically come out in word form. Um, I guess to answer the first part of the question, I don't think anybody will be restricted from play. Uh, Oregon and California, clearly the, the, the two uh, you know, strictest states in the Pac-12 conference. We've seen a climb in cases in Utah in the past couple of weeks, but they're even playing football at the high school level right now. Uh, and that has not been, been postponed. So, I don't believe anybody's going to get left out in terms of being allowed to play again when the governors of the state of California and Oregon both come out and say, hey, look, give us a plan, give us, you know, and we'll take a look at the data real quick. But we think that, you know, we think that you're going to be good to go is essentially what they're saying. I, I, I don't think there's going to be any pushback at, at the city or county levels um, in those two states. And I don't think anybody's going to be prohibited from a start. Now, what we've seen in college football already and what we have to decide, and I know the Big Ten made a decision on this, we have seen games postponed or even completely changed. I know Memphis was supposed to play Houston this weekend, and Houston's now playing Baylor. So, you know, there's going to be a dynamic there of games that have been postponed. You've had teams that have showed up with a third of their roster 
and still played a game, uh, it doesn't mean as the, uh, that this season's going to go off without a hitch. It won't. There will be, you know, there there could be games that Oregon is down six starters on offense because of an outbreak or because of testing or whatever the case might be. You just don't know. So I, I don't think anybody's left out. What I saw, at least from just a quick glance, is that the Big Ten, if for any reason a game is not able to be played, they're basically basically just saying, "Hey, look, we weren't able to play this game. It's not a it's not a forfeit. It's not anything. It's just a, an unplayed game." So, I'll be curious to see, uh, you know, if that is something that the Pac-12, uh, be, because let's face it, the, the SEC, ACC, their seasons already well, SEC is not playing yet, but their seasons haven't gone on unhitched yet completely there's been a lot of a lot of problems there's been a lot of of covid related things so I, even if the pac-12 gets it together um it, it'll just be interesting to see how this thing unfolds it's gonna it's gonna be a wild year that's for sure yeah i i forgot about that one that was in my hopper as well uh virginia virginia tech got canceled and that was a big one for for me because uh my station was scheduled to air that game um, do you foresee any COVID uh, cancellations happening in Pac-12 country? And, and if it did like that, how could the schedule handle that? Yeah, I don't th- – A, I do believe that that's totally plausible. I mean, we've seen it in other conferences. Um, and, and let's face it, Oregon and California have been on high alert with relation to covid for a long time. So I, I've got a feeling they're going to take it very seriously. I think that these two states in particular are going to have the biggest uphill battle as it pertains to COVID testing and results and, and being able to play, a, 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 I'll call it a whole season, but, but whatever the revised whole season is, they're going to have the biggest uphill battle the whole way. Um, so I could certainly see cancellations. I could certainly see delays or whatever the case might be i think that's totally plausible to expect i don't know if it'll affect oregon at any point because again i'll circle back you know oregon was doing the voluntary workouts and and had over 500 tests done and zero uh positive cases of of covid so clearly if it's done properly it can be controlled and it and it can and it can work um but when you when you introduce school, when you introduce other students on campus, and all of these other things, you've got a lot of other variables there now that you uh, didn't have to control back then that you'll now have to control. So it'll be a little different ball game for for Oregon and everybody. But uh, you know, we could definitely see some canceled games, and if that's the case, and and you're a, a conference or a team operating with fewer games than everybody else already. You know th- that's really going to just continue to uh, hinder the Pac-12 and, and having a chance at a, a, a conference championship. But but ultimately, let me reverse course here. Maybe maybe the goal shouldn't be having a team compete for for the college football playoff. I mean that's always the goal in a normal year, but this isn't a normal year or a normal season. So maybe that shouldn't be the benchmark the benchmark should probably be in all seriousness and i'm not one of these like hey everybody gets a participation trophy but in all seriousness with everything that's gone on and where we are today the benchmark should be the pac-12 just needs to get a season in and compete with the other conferences and get some teams in bowl games and show a commitment to football a commitment to playing football a commitment to you know not 
you, you know, not quitting and being the only conference not to quit. I think that's, I know a lot of people struggle with, hey, you know, the Pac-12 doesn't need to worry about not playing and being the only conference that doesn't play. I've seen some national media mention that, and I think that's a terrible take. I think it's an awful take. They definitely need to worry about that. This is very much a conference that's already taken it on the chin with national media already. The Pac-12 is not that well-respected, and it's only gone downhill the last few years. Revenue is down. That's a serious problem. And we've seen all this trickle into something that we've talked about before, into recruiting. And as you see more and more of the upper-end talent leaving and going to the SEC or ACC or Big 12, that becomes a problem for these football teams to remain competitive in the future. So ultimately, the benchmark should be the conference is, is able to show a complete 180 and that they are serious about football and they are wanting to compete with the other conferences. Maybe that should be the benchmark, and I think if they can do that and get to a couple bowl games and show and be respectable – it might not help them move forward, but it certainly doesn't cause them to move backward any farther, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Well, that pretty much tackled every uh, angle that I had on the uh, Big Ten, Pac-12, hullabaloo over the past 48 hours. Um, despite all of this, somehow, some way, recruiting is still pretty big in the headlines. Uh, tell me about the exciting week of recruiting Oregon's got. Well, I mean, so far, uh, the Ducks have landed uh, two football commits. So, you know, it's been a good week there uh, for the Ducks to kind of get the ball rolling once again. Uh, you know, Oregon was able to land four-star outside linebacker defensive end Jabril, Jabril McNeil out of North Carolina. And I know some people might look at his ranking and some other things and think, man, you know, this is, you know, Oregon doesn't really need a, another linebacker. They don't. They certainly don't need another linebacker, but this is a guy that I know Andy Avalos and Ken Wilson and Mario Cristobal are absolutely drooling over. They love his potential. They love his uh, natural ability. This is a guy they view as a big-time playmaker, and I hate to say it. I know that Justin Flo and Noah Sewell were much more highly ranked as five stars and, and top 25 players in their respective classes, they view Jabril McNeil as right up there with that kind of potential. So despite his ranking, Oregon views this as an absolutely huge get. Uh, you know, his brother, Amir McNeil, plays on North Carolina State and as a defensive tackle was on Bruce Feldman's freak li- freaks list for this year. So it tells you what kind of freaky athleticism this this family has mm-hmm. and, and that it's there for Jabril. Jabril. Uh, you know, Oregon was able to secure its second class of 2022 commit. Uh, Andre Dollar, a tight end out of Oklahoma, uh, you know, another four-star guy. And, and we talked about the tight end room being uh, a, a somewhat of a, a severe problem for Oregon, uh, at least where it stands right now. Now you've added two four-star 2021 commits in Matavau, Maliki Matavau, uh, and Terrence Ferguson for the Ducks, and you've gone ahead into the next class and landed another big-time player who had Oklahoma major offers. He had big-time offers. So that's another big get. Yeah. And then to, to, today's Thursday that you and I are recording. Tomorrow's Friday, and it's, it's expected that, that uh, four-star safety Damon David is supposed to announce tomorrow afternoon, I believe around 1 o'clock. And, and that's a guy that prior to this week or even yesterday, I believe, You know, he was kind of a mid three-star guy, wasn't a big-time name, and 24-7 Sports actually 
elevated his ranking into the top 200 and he's now a four-star player so you know this one kind of turns into you know from a ho-hum kind of a pickup to a Oh, okay. Maybe the, maybe the Ducks got lucky and, and did a good job evaluating early and are picking up a, a top safety nationally. Uh, again, another position that the Ducks need, guys. Uh, so at least as far as the football recruiting trail is concerned, it's been a big week for Oregon football. Yeah, I, I look at all that two ways. One, I know it's easy for fans to just count guys on the depth chart and say we have too many linebackers, but if Andy Avalos wants a linebacker, all I got to do is look at the NFL. I mean, he's got Leighton Vander Esch, who he found when he was at Boise State. A uh, long tradition of, of coaching great linebackers. If he wants to find another guy, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I, that's the guy you trust. He's yeah. he's earned the right. I mean, that's a guy you definitely trust. And, and you know what? Let's face it. Mario Cristobal's done a pretty good job identifying talent in his few years at Oregon. Um, and we've seen a lot of those pay off. So, uh, yeah, if, if Oregon's, you know, as a, as a staff, as a coaching staff, is that excited about something, um, you can bet to the – you can go to the bank that I'm going to take that uh, over the recruiting sites. No disrespect to 24-7 sports arrivals, uh, you know, but those guys are paid millions of dollars and their, uh, their jobs are on the line of whether they get these decisions right or wrong. So I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with them with this on this one, and uh, it looks like the Ducks are absolutely – loaded, loaded at linebacker for the coming years. Yeah, and then the other point, you mentioned safety is a need. I, I, I feel like you're seeing college football and the NFL really start to converge schematically on this point that safeties don't have to play 20 yards away from the ball anymore. Uh, you, you can have a guy that is – in the box on the on the snap and then backs out you can have a guy that starts out deep in that free safety spot and he flies to the line right after the last signals have been called before the snap um, and you can have guys basically kind of like how the Seahawks use Jamal Adams or you know, I think about how Michigan used to use Jabril Peppers back in the day a safety in name but he was really more of a linebacker so I, I don't have a problem with the Ducks going after safeties yeah and you know one thing you can't teach uh, a safety um, you know I know all the measurables and all those things are great um, you know Oregon's been lucky to have some guys that have come up and, and, and lay the wood and, and, and smack a few guys around you know, John Boyette comes to mind, obviously. Uh, they, You know, Patrick Chung, of course. There's been some of those, but you can't teach instincts. And, and and that's something that really stands out about Damon David. He's just got those natural instincts. And like you said, the game has changed. You know, safeties are getting pulled up into the box because of play action. Uh, you know, they're, they're forced to turn and run and be able to, to, to play deep. And, and I'll say this. Uh, I absolutely love the human being. That is Brady Breeze, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite ducks to cover ever, just because he's such a, an awesome person. But if we're calling a spade a spade, he's limited athletically. He's not the most athletic safety uh, that Oregon's ever had or that is on Oregon's roster. But he does have tremendous instincts, and he has a nose for the football. He seems he seems to put himself in a spot to make a play on the football, despite that limited athleticism doesn't mean he's a poor athlete. Obviously, he could he could outrun me any day of the week. He's a great athlete, but overall, just compared to these elite athletes in college football, you know, he's not up there. But his instincts make up for that, and I think that's something that jumps out about Damon David. I think he's a, he's a really good athlete, but he's got 
tremendous natural instincts. Um, and I think that that's something that the Ducks were very high on from the get-go. All right. Uh, Justin Hopkins, myself, Matt Bagley, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Uh, can we spend a couple minutes on Nate Biddle? We should probably do that. That's pretty yeah. big news. I, I love it. I mean, I, I know that that you really make your bacon on the football recruiting side, but to me, this is like if Oregon football went out and got another Justin Flo, right? Somebody that's five-star, somebody that has really a, a, a unique skill set for his position, and somebody that if you just ask people that watch him, Everybody believes he's a superstar someday. Uh, I, I've covered Nate for three years covering Oregon High School basketball, and I said it this way on my show, he's the best male high school basketball player in Oregon. With the blocking, with the three-point shooting, this is a, a really special talent, and I'm, I'm thrilled that he's going to Oregon. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's face it. You, you cannot teach six foot, 11, seven foot you know, uh, that can run and shoot. I mean, you right. just can't. And so, I mean, to me, I, I figured you were going to go with bull bull there before you pulled out the Justin flow, you know, bull, uh, bull bull is obviously taller, different, different player, but, but very similar in the fact that, you know, both of them had national offers. I mean, Nate Biddle could have gone anywhere. I mean, the, 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 the schools that would have utilized him tremendously well, Arizona, UCLA, Gonzaga, you know, Oregon, all these schools making this final four, he had every, he had every offer. Um, and, you know, for Oregon to go ahead and, and be able to keep him in state is big. I, I think the best thing about Biddle, and, and I have to give credit, somebody on, on Scoob Duck kind of pointed this out, you're probably going to get Nate Biddle for two to three years at least. He, he's not going to be a one and done, and that really makes him more valuable. I love the fact that, you know, you go and get Biddle, and, and if you're Dana Altman, you're probably looking at this thing saying, I know I've got him for at least two years, possibly three if things come together right. And that's very, I mean, that's what made Peyton Pritchard so valuable. You know, the fact that you were able to get him, watch him develop for a year or two, and, and he became a, a, a two-year, you know, Pac-12 all-conference player. I mean, that was a big, big boost for the program. So I think that's something that speaks well to Biddle, his versatility. Um, I think we all know, and I think he probably knows himself, he's got to get a little bigger, a little stronger. Um, and that's just going to come with age. That's going to come with maturing um you know he's a, he's a giant puppy dog in in, in that body yeah. of his um you know his dad i don't know what's his dad six seven or you know as well right um so his, his dad's a big tall guy and uh you know i, I think the best thing about it you're going to get him down there to pr prolific prep for a couple months and he's going to get some really good training and and that's that's a tremendous another tremendous thing so you know for dana altman it's just like with football you keep your best players in state when you got them uh, in this particular case, it happened to be a very, very nice big gift for him in a, a seven foot, you know, 200 pound stretch five kind of player, um, a family that is very fond of Oregon, a very tight knit family. I felt all along the whole time that Nate, Nate Biddle was not going to stray far away from his family. There's, um, I know that that's important. So I think that, you know, he was Altman's to lose from the get go. But again, you've got to continue to recruit him, and and you've got to put uh, the icing on the cake, if you will. Just a huge pickup for the program. Yeah, yeah. And there's people that could say, you know, well, did he play at the highest level? 
I, I think Oregon high school basketball, it's definitely better than Oregon high school football. I, I think that there's a, a lot more talent there in the cupboard than people might imagine. And you mentioned he's going to go to Prolific Prep, which is a, a prep school in the Bay Area. So even if the level of competition wasn't as high as it could be, especially in league play for him uh, over the past couple of years, he gets a chance to up that level and match what he sees on the AAU circuit and what he's seen uh, performing for Team USA's youth teams over the past couple of summers and and up the consistency of, uh, of competition that he'll face. That's going to be a really big fire to mold him and uh, again, you know, the obvious is six foot eleven, and he can shoot, and he can, you know, nail the shot from long range. I feel like that guy is going to be somebody that can get minutes almost immediately at Oregon. So it's it's a coup for the family, uh, Oregonians through and through, proud Duck fans. And it's a coup for the young man. Gets to represent his state on the biggest stage. And it's a coup for the Ducks. They get a really good basketball player. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a win all the way around. And again, you know, it's like I said originally, being able to keep your, your, your top players in state, you know, really is, it seems minor, but it's a major recruiting flex right. for Dana Altman and his staff when they're out there. You know, because if, 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 you're, if your best players don't believe enough in your program to stay in state and compete with them, you know, that sends a signal out to the recruits from out of state, from California, from beyond that, hey, look, okay, why, you know, why does this guy want to go somewhere else? What, what's wrong with what's wrong with Oregon? So right. for, for Dana Altman to be able to pitch that and say, hey, look, hey, we had a guy in state, he had every offer known to man, and he, he, he decided to come fly with us, you know, that definitely helps your program and it keeps the other, uh, keeps the other programs, universities, from being able to negatively recruit against you because that's certainly ammunition for them yeah and and our guy kg on the women's side he's doing the same thing uh <laughs> um mario cristobal too uh keith brown is a great example of that i feel like um feel like i covered everything i wanted to cover is there anything that we missed that you want to talk about no i mean a full podcast i think the only thing that uh and i'll just say it on air i, I, I forgot to you know, we didn't get to our five games uh, oh. this week. I oh, know. hey. Not, I'm not even ready. Are you ready for it? No. I'm not even ready for no, it. No, I, I completely yeah. forgot. Totally I'm, I'm not either. But we'll get back to next week uh, when the SEC starts up too. So okay. we'll be able to include that conference. Uh, but a good full podcast. And, and the great the great thing is this podcast wasn't like Groundhog Day where we're like, well, another week, no, no Pac-12 football. Oh, I know. Well, we, inched, we inched closer to it. At least I said this when the NFL came back last week. I had my first normal night in like five months. It's been it's been so crazy. Like in my job, I want to watch a game. I want to talk about that game that I just watched. And then I want to talk about what happens in the next game. And for five months, I couldn't do that. We didn't have sports. No, no. And, 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 and the return to football, whether it's, you know, college, NFL, all those things are great. Here I am trying to plan my, you know, ironically enough, I'm planning my thirsty Thursday, uh, you know, get out for beers with my buddies. And I look at the NFL and it's the Browns versus the Bengals tonight. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, a return to football. And this is the freaking game you well, give me. I mean, good but news is it. you won't I'll be the it. only one drunk tonight. I think uh, Baker Mayfield might have a couple before he gets under center. 
Oh yeah, I could I, I could probably lead that offense better than him. Uh, three beers deep, three IPAs deep. But, uh, I'll take it. It's football, like you said. It's just a inching closer to our return to normalcy. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, he's Justin Hopkins. My name is Matt Bagley. We're Scoop Duck and Hi Fi, and we're gonna sign off for the week. Uh, I I implore you. Leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, tune in, tell a friend, share the pod, and as always, let us know what you think. You can leave a comment at scoopduck.com or on Twitter at Bagley Sports or at SD. And thanks for listening. Go Ducks! I can do this now.